I feel like humanity's at a crossing roads right now, crossroads right now, where it's kind of obvious what we're doing now is not sustainable in many ways. And the potential to be a fully conscious, sustainable, peaceful world, it's possible. It's very possible. It's like so possible, it's like at our fingertips, but a change has to happen before we get there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. I'm your host, Lana. And I'm your host, Zoe. Together, we are going to be taking a journey each week, introducing you to some of the greatest minds in plant medicine and psychedelics. Our intention is to bridge the gap between science and spirituality and to ignite awarenesses, awakenings, and rememberings of divine ancient wisdom. So let's journey. Hi, everyone. Today we have Giovanni Bartolomeo, otherwise known as G or Gio. I'm so excited to bring this interview forward for you. So I had heard of Giovanni a while before I had actually met him through the tribe. And everyone was just like, have you met Giovanni? Have you met Giovanni? Have you met G? He's incredible. So he comes to teach breath work at the uh, place where I do my ceremonies. And he really did not disappoint the moment I met him and took one part of in one of his breathwork um, experiences. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. He has a way of just breaking people down and breaking them open in the most beautiful, beautiful way. And this interview was absolutely expansive, especially for those of us who are in the psychedelic world and in the process of awakening and also entrepreneurs who recognize the value and importance of making and creating wealth for ourselves. So G shares his personal story with us along with the profound learnings that he's picked up along the way doing his plant medicine work. So a little bit about G. He is an entrepreneur, a life adventurer, and he has such a deep passion for teaching, experimental learning, and creating deep connections with others. He actually has a studio called Elemental Wellness just outside of Toronto, and he's also the co-founder of a personal development school, which we'll have linked in the show notes. His studio is really beautiful. I used to go there for breathwork once a week before COVID, and it was such a nice little addition to my healing toolkit. So G's a breathwork facilitator. He's also a certified life coach and he actually founded his own method of breathwork called the Elemental Rhythm Breathwork Program along with the facilitator training for this. So he also, he's a content creator. He's definitely contributing to the awakening and digging into topics. Um, So he has a podcast called Elemental Awakening as well as a YouTube channel by the same name where, like I said, he explores topics such as human consciousness, altered states, being an entrepreneur, and navigating everyday life. And in 2018, some of you may know, he did actually release a self-directed and produced documentary on plant medicine and psychedelics called Psyched Out, which we will link in the show notes for you. So let's get into this episode. I know you will all love Giovanni and feel his love for teaching and awakening in this interview. So let's dig into it. 
All right, everyone. Today we have a very special guest, and I'm so excited for our conversation today because I have heard so much about Giovanni. We've got uh, Giovanni Bartolomeo here to share more of his story, his journey, and some great words of wisdom with all of us. So Giovanni, if you could start by telling our audience more about yourself and your journey. Well, first off, thanks for the warm welcome. I'll try my best to live up to those amazing words and share some of my experience and hopefully it resonates with someone. And just thank you for having me on the show here. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure. Um, my name is Giovanni. Some people call me G or Gio. I would consider myself a, a serial entrepreneur of sorts. Um, I'm a dad and I'm also really passionate about a lot of things that I try to sort of find balance in my life by weaving all these things together and trying not to plan too much. <laughs> um, so right now, you know, we have a float center in Toronto, um, it's our community space. We have float therapy, infrared sauna, ice plunges, breathwork classes, and the like. Um, I also have a few online businesses where we teach online courses and we're re- releasing a, a breathwork uh, platform right now in community. I've also um, created a documentary that we released on YouTube for free, but it's also on Gaia and Amazon. And um, I'm a big proponent of plant medicines and healing and, and all these kinds of different modalities that sort of weave together in different kinds of ways. So that's just a snapshot of who I am now, I guess. And um, yeah, my, my story, I guess it's always interesting, you know, where, where to start the story off. Um, but I guess we can go back maybe to, I guess, high school, college years where I was sort of being groomed to you know follow a certain path in life which which to me i guess the best way to define it was there was an alignment between net worth and self-worth so you know if i made a lot of money and i had a nice house and i did all these things and i'd be happy and i'm I'm successful and that's the whole point of everything that's going on here and so i was doing that you know the area i grew up in it was you know upper middle class i'd say um so a lot of kids had came from wealthier families drove nice cars and you know, like we weren't poor by any means. And, you know, I always had food on the table and always had, you know, things that I needed. So I was never in scarcity or anything like that. But I definitely wasn't, you know, in the upper echelon where, you know, I couldn't really afford my own car and stuff like that until I was a little bit older. So anyways, so I was in this path of like, yeah, I need to do well. I need to make money. I was also competitive, you know, grew up in a competitive, you know, sports type mindset and, you know, wanting to win and do well. And so my dad wanted me to be a CA, a chartered accountant. So I was sort of trying to live his un, you know, unmet dreams, I guess, because he was an accountant and thought if I was a CA, it would answer all the problems and make all kinds of money, would have nothing to worry about, which he was probably right in many ways from his perspective. But, you know, I remember when I was in business school, third year university, I got this Canadian tax law textbook. And I'll never forget, this was before I was even like followed numerology and signs. I remember seeing the, 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 the price with tax came out to $111. And I was looking at it, staring at me. I was like, wow, that's expensive. You know, making at the time probably minimum wage. As I'm walking away, like I have this cross on my back because my bag is so heavy. I just decided that at that point that I didn't want to do accounting. And so I turned around and returned the book and I got my full refund because a day later I would have lost like 20% or something like that. And I decided like, okay, I'm not doing that. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to um, figure it out. So I just went to a general business degree and I loved being creative and trying to solve problems and and figure things out and make making money that way. Um, and, and the one thing that I'm really lucky is that my parents always supported me no matter what. Um, 
decisions I made, although sometimes they disagreed, they would always support me. So I'm totally grateful for that. And then from there, I just started all these different businesses. I was trying to make money. So I had like a clothing company, you know, I got my insurance license. I worked for, you know, an insurance company at the age of 18 and no one took going to buy life insurance from an 18 year old because they don't really take you too seriously. But I learned about that. And then, you know, I worked different jobs. I was a waiter at Jack Astor's and um, started different companies through my twenties. I was in the food business. I had a food brokerage company. We were manufacturing gluten-free natural snacks at one point. I had a construction renovation business. And what I realized is like, I was just trying to make money. You know, is, is this a good idea? Can I make money doing this? And what I was doing was learning through a lot of mistakes, losing money, making money, losing money again. And I remember one day I sort of, it's kind of blurry now if I was actually dreaming or if I sat at the side of my bed, I was having a daydream. But I remember looking down at my hands and for like a, a split second, they looked like my grandfather's hands, these old hands with wrinkly veins on them. And uh, sort of this thought in my head sort of just sort of came to me. It was like, you're going to keep waking up every day in this bed until you're old and die. And you're not going to do anything that's really important or nothing that's really of any matter. You know, you go on your two vacations a year, you have everything you need, but you know, that's really not the point. So I started thinking, I was like, hey, what is the point? Like, what am I actually doing here? Like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Nothing I do. Like I was smart enough to figure out how to, you know, work as little as I can to make just enough money that I feel comfortable. And I was just like, wow, like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I, I realized there is this emptiness that I had within me that I had for a while, but I didn't even know what to name it or what it was. And, you know, I probably filled that emptiness partying on the weekends and, you know, drinking and doing drugs and having fun. You know, what I thought, what, what, what was fun to me at the time, you know, I'm not going to lie at the time. It was a lot of fun. But I was like, this is so pointless. Like, this doesn't mean anything, you know, gambling on sports and all these weird things that I used to do. And so I started searching. And, you know, what did that mean at the time? I had no idea. I started reading religious texts. I started reading the Bhagavad Gita, a little bit of the Bible, um, different Eastern philosophy, uh, which led me to Alan Watts, which led me to obviously Google, where you start Googling things. And the Alan Watts videos led to comments that sort of were talked about this guy named Terrence McKenna. And someone said, yeah, if Alan Watts is interesting, Terrence McKenna will blow your mind. I said, okay, I'm ready. So that led to probably like a 10-hour Terrence binge on um, YouTube. And it was when I was really starting to understand what intuition was and this curiosity that I probably hadn't really felt since I was a kid, other than when you're curious around business and how to make money, but it's definitely a different motive. This was something totally different that I was trying to understand what it was. And I would watch these videos and I'd feel this like yearning in my heart to understand more, or I'd see someone's expression when they were explaining their experience, like on a DMT, the spirit molecule. And something inside of me was like, yeah, you're understanding from your mind, but what you really want is a real understanding, which is the experience of what these people are talking about. So I contacted Rick Strassman from the, 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 um, doctor that did the experiment with intravenous DMT and, um, Mitch Schultz was the director of uh, the spirit molecule. So I contacted Rick and I was like, Hey, I'm ready. You know, I want to inject me with DMT. I want to do it. Um, but he's like, there's no studies like that going on anywhere in the world. And, you know, for me, I'd never done any psychedelics in a meaningful way prior to this. I would always, um, you know, when I was partying, doing parties, you know, drinking a few beers, but I felt I was ready. Um, and so he said, yeah, there's a place in Brazil that serves ayahuasca. The active ingredient is DMT. It's, it's not the same experience, but it'll get you to, you know, probably where you're looking to go. So I said, okay, I, I 
told my wife, she thought I was completely nuts that I'm going, you know, this is like 2013, 2012. This is 2012 um, when I was thinking of going. So no one was really talking about this stuff in any of my circles anyways. I know people have been talking about this stuff for a long time, but no one I knew had ever heard of ayahuasca. And I said, I'm going to drink this this tea that's going to make me have these visions. And she's like, you're going to go do drugs in Brazil. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not that. She's like, yeah, basically that's what it is. And so after a long negotiation and a lot of, um, a lot of, I guess, uh, compromise, you know, we decided to be going down to Brazil to spend two weeks drinking ayahuasca. After that, you know, you know, after going down there and, and in, in preparation, I probably did a couple like solo mushroom journeys at home with a couple grams, maybe two grams or three grams in darkness. I wasn't ready for the, the superhero doses yet. Um, and then I went down and I really like literally on my first experience had a death experience where like I literally died, you know, and I thought I was dying in the experience. And it was like my consciousness was separated from a singular point of consciousness to like infinite consciousness in, in a sense of like I died, my body decomposed where I went down almost like the cell level. And I was, I was like being sort of reborn into like maggots as they were eating the cells I was turning into them. And then, you know, I was, I guess fertilizing the plants that were growing and i just started seeing how like connected everything is and how i'm just a part of this bigger consciousness or this organism that's alive and you know we sort of compartmentalize i guess our experience into this consciousness of i am this person right here having this experience but it was showing me like hey you're a monkey you know nothing about anything and there's you're just you just are seeing like a fraction like a through a peephole like a pinhole you know, into like an art museum where you have no, you know, you don't know what's really beyond that. And I was like, okay. And I was just surrendering to that. And for two weeks, you know, we did four ceremonies and they really, you know, changed my perspective on everything. So I came back and like anyone that has their first intense or breakthrough psychedelic experience, you want to tell everybody. And, you know, I was very naive and, you know, thought that people were going to be like, oh my God, I got to do this. It was like a lot of like, you're crazy. Like, well, you did what? That's insane. That's it's hallucinating. But some people were receptive. Some people were curious. Some people would listen. And I was an open book, but I had to go through this process where I would talk about the safety and the history and the legality and why it's bullshit and why, you know, like all these things, which sort of brought me to the point of, you know, I'm just going to make a documentary about this. So I decided with no previous film experience that I was just going to document my experience and reach out to some of the people in the industry that I looked up to that I was watching all their videos. And most of them, you know, responded at the time, like they would do it which now is, would be a lot harder with all the, the hype around it to get a hold of these guys. So like Terrence McKenna, Graham Hancock, Gabor Mate, um, some other people that had healed tremendously through plant medicine. And, you know, then, then I started to see also by talking to people how powerful it was and how sort of amazing it was, not just for exploratory and answering or trying to get answers to existential, question, existential questions, which usually – um, you don't really get answers. You just get a lot more questions, which is part of the experience, I think, of life where you're, it's just continual. There's no destination that you can figure out. You know, you just keep moving through it and learning more and experiencing more and have a better understanding. Uh, but also the healing aspect, you know, where all these people had like crazy, like, like healing experiences through psychedelics. Um, and, and that sort of was a, a work in progress where I really, you know, multiple points, I wanted to just quit and not do it and give up. And like, I was scared about what people would think of me, I was scared of coming out of the psychedelic closet where I was just like, Hey, you know, I, I believe in these and I do these and like people in business might question me. And then it was sort of like, well, if people are going to be ignorant towards this and not really give it a chance and do I really want to associate with them anyways, or do business with them anyways. And, you know, I did business with some very conservative people or older people that probably wouldn't 
understand. But I realize like if they trust me and know who I am as a person, then they shouldn't judge me for doing these things or exploring these things. They would probably be more curious. And of course, at first, some of the people that were more conservative when it comes to psychedelics, I wouldn't say distanced themselves, but, you know, thought otherwise, but over time became more curious. And, you know, all the people that was like, yeah, you got to do this. You know, some of them took five years to get, be interested in any of this sort of work in the personal development space where you're bettering yourself. But over time, you know, as you just, as I continue just to not preach as much as I did in the first couple of months when I got back and just sort of be myself and be an example, people would see like, Hey, like, what are you doing? I'm curious. You know, I see like you have this interesting calm energy or, you know, you seem to be happy or all of these things. And I think that was another realization of how I could sort of speak or preach without preaching is just being. Um, and so from there, you know, I was also still searching. I was meditating. I was exploring the limits of the human body and mind. I would do like, I did like a crazy fast for like 55 days where I lost like 45 pounds and it was an interesting experience. I um, I connected with Wim Hof and I got to meet him. We became friends and I, I was one of the first certified instructors in Canada to be a Wim Hof instructor. And, and that sort of was an interesting experience as well. We can talk about that if you have questions around there. Um, but again, like, you know, the ego wanted to climb a mountain in my shorts and I sort of found this modality of breath that was opening different doorways for me and these, these crazy experiences. And also, again, you know, all these people that had used that to heal themselves or to find um, relief from pain. So all these interesting things. And again, I'm just following my intuition and these things are sort of opening up where in the past mindset of like this go-getter was like, yeah, I need to figure this out and do this. And I realized along this journey, like the more I sort of get out of my own way and sort of sit back and be patient, which I'm still working on, um, things just happen and the right things come to you. And so so I got into breath work and then over time, I just started experimenting with it and creating my own process, um, which is now called elemental rhythm. Um, so it uses breathing to sort of bring you through on a journey um, that can be comparable in some sometimes to a psychedelic experience. Some people say, I've heard some people say it can be more transformative than, than psychedelics based on their experiences. And sometimes people get a nothing burger where nothing happens. And so, um, and, and there's reasons for the different experiences. I think what's going on personally, how much they engage with it, et cetera. Um, and then shortly after that, as I was teaching people and holding, you know, creating community, we'd have events downtown. And I always knew in my heart, like the like community was so important to all of these things. You know, you can do any of these things alone, but when you do things in community, you know, it's much more powerful, like things like breath work or even plant medicine, you, know, you do it in a group. There's this bond that forms with you and the people that are there with you. Um, and I think that in itself is healing. And I think people that have those sort of networks pre, pre and post have much more of a chance to, um, succeed in their healing journey if that's what they're going after. And even all the places around the world where people live the longest, you know, there's always a, a good sense of community. So I really wanted to build a community and we were doing events and we were, I was hosting breathworks and I, I've thought, you know, I need to, I need my own place. And so I was still in the kind of the business world in the food business where I was starting to lose motivation for that, but I didn't know how I could make money outside of that in, you know, the wellness or consciousness or, you know, this, this sort of, I guess, niche or industry. But I just, you know, like for some reason, this was kind of a blur. This, this whole thing, I think I was guided by someone else at this point in my life, but I called a real, my real estate agent buddy. I'm like, yeah, I just want to look at a few places. He's like, what are you looking for? I'm just looking for like a, a commercial or industrial unit about a couple thousand square feet. Might, you know, want to have a community space or center. And he's like, okay. 
And the first place we went to go look at, no one showed up. And the second place, the address was 999 Edgley Boulevard. So like these numbers are coming in again. I'm like, okay. And um, we decide, I, so I get there and it's like this empty unit. So it's perfect. And, you know, there's a windows in the back. It's an industrial unit, windows in the front, lots of parking. And I'm like, okay, like this is, might be a sign. And I look up the numerology on 999. I found it very interesting. And um, so I said, okay, let's just do it. And I really didn't know what I was going to do with the space. But I know I, I didn't want it to just be a hangout. There had to be some business associated with it. Or else it could become, you know, financially daunting and, you know, maybe even be, have a negative consequence on the community and myself for, for having to sort of put myself through that financial hardship, which I've had experience with other business in the past without having a good plan. But this was just totally spontaneous. At the same time, I was invited to another float center and I, he's like, yeah, do floating. It's easy business. It's great. People love it. And, you know, without doing too much of my due diligence, which I probably should have, but I'm glad I didn't um, because I might have never gone through with it. I ended up opening a float studio in Vaughn. And that whole process and the whole entrepreneurial process, I think, um, is is a spiritual experience because you get faced with all these decisions you have to make, you know, when it comes to like spending money, when it comes to like hiring people, how you show up, how you treat people, the decisions you make. Um, you can really reflect back and how it pushes on different aspects of your um, subconscious mind, of your emotional body, of maybe traumas and triggers in the past. Um, so what came up for me as I was building this place and it got delayed way over budget, I had to sign like everything on the line, like all this like debt, and sign my house collateral. I put myself in a place of no return where I had to face the possibility that I may you know, lose everything. I may go bankrupt. And what was coming up was what are people going to think of me? I'm going to become this failure because I'm going to lose money. And this goes back to like my childhood when I was like, yeah, money, self-worth, net worth is like aligned. And, you know, it took nine months to open. I built the whole thing myself. So I really drained all of my energy. So when opening day comes, I'm like just done. And, you know, I have to now run a business and start this startup in this area that I'm not even sure if they're ready for this. You know, like Vaughn was not, it's not like we were like downtown and like a really like open-minded area. We were in, in Vaughn, Woodbridge. Um, so we opened and all these fears came up and I was, um, doing unhealthy things. I was drinking wine at night, you know, during the construction, I would smoke with the construction workers and, and this was totally against everything that I stood for. And I was like, what is happening to me? Like, I'm so stressed out that I don't even care. And I had to come to this realization was like, okay, like, even if I do fail, does that really matter? What's really important? It's the relationships I have. It's who I am as a person. It's it's what I stand for. And what was my initial intention of creating this place? To create a community and to really help people. And so I said, okay, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to think about the money. I'm not going to think about failure. If I fail, it's okay. Like, it's supposed to happen. I'm just going to focus on every single person that comes to that door. I'm going to treat them like they're the most important person on the planet because they are. And I'm going to serve them and help them. And as soon as I started doing that, everything started to shift. And... I started attracting different people into the business. Slowly, we started um, making a little bit of money, and we never became super profitable. We were always like able to float and and maintain this community without, you know, after you know first half a year not having to put any more money in, which I'm totally grateful for. But what happened was all of these other amazing opportunities came out of it. So the profit was in the people and the experiences, but then other business opportunities came through people that were coming there that I really wanted to align with that had all these other experiences or resources or money or ideas that then sort of helped me to sort of let go of my old life where I just got out of businesses that I was tied to and stuck in like my construction business or one of the food companies where I literally just walked away from like all the money I'd invested in there. I was like, you know what? I got to drop this anchor and bring my energy towards what I want to create. 
and just surrender and be open to that. And the more I would do that, get over the fear and just letting go of like, hey, like I can hold on to this anchor, like money invested and time invested in these companies that I'm no longer aligned with to try to make it back and win. Again, that winning mentality, I don't want to lose. I was like, okay, fuck it. You know, I'm going to just go with the flow and focus my energy on what, you know, I really feel in my heart. And that shifted everything. And that sort of allowed me to sort of get more opportunities where I would travel and teach and, um, you know, create this whole breathwork facilitation program where I taught like all, you know, 30 people now how to facilitate breathwork in, in this certain style. And then other like online businesses that sort of came out of it and all these things that's like now I'm in like way better flow. I had to get out of my own way um, and just listen to my heart and and allow, allow that old part of me to die you know, just slowly. And, you know, it was painful. and It was hard. And I could see myself holding on for a lot of it, but, you know, bringing that awareness, like, okay, like I had to go through this experience. And, you know, like, like I said earlier, if, if I would have been told that, you know, float is so hard, this business, you shouldn't do it. Maybe I wouldn't have done it and not have got through to where I am now. Um, and so that brings us kind of to today, you know, I have, I have a podcast and I do a lot of other things and there's a lot of new opportunities that are coming up now through this whole shutdown. Um, but I try to sort of just not get my mind stuck on the negative and worry about like this, these fear things, which obviously come up. It's just like, okay, everything that's happening is supposed to happen. How do I want to show up and how do I want to continue to sort of do my thing? So I know that was a very long winded response to my story. So I hope I didn't take up too much time, but, um, I don't know if you have any questions or you want to want to dive a little deeper in anything that I talked about there, but, um, Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you, Jim. We did ask for your story, and we definitely okay. got it. And I, I've I've known you for a little while now, so it was it was really nice to kind of hear the progression of how everything happened. And I really appreciated how you let us in on the internal struggles that you were going through through this process of going from you know potentially being an accountant to being in businesses that weren't coming from your heart space into this person who started to listen to his intuition, to listen to the signs and to lead more and more into trust. So I just, I think that that was such an inspiring story. And one thing that, um, I mean, there's so many places we could take this, but one thing I want to dig into is you said that your friend mentioned ayahuasca to you and you went to your wife and you were like, Hey, I want to do this. And she said, you're crazy. I can totally relate to this because that happened to me, but I was on the other end where my ex partner came to me and was like, there's this medicine ayahuasca and I really want to do it. And I was like, you're wild. You're crazy. Like, Oh my God. So I can completely understand where your wife was coming from. And I've met your wife and she's so, such a beautiful soul. And you two are so lovely together and just seem like you're really, it just seems like you're really on this path and journey together. So my question for you is, is what has it been like to go through this journey with your wife and this medicine journey, the spiritual, spiritual growth journey? Um, Like, did you both go through it together? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, and like every relationship is a journey in itself, you know, the relationship with your parents, your family, especially, you know, your wife and you have kids with, you create this family unit and ultimately you want things to work out. And sometimes, you know, you want things to work out the way you think they should work out. And, um, and this, this was, you know, part of the book surrender experiment that really sort of stuck with me, which was, I was living my life, life's 
somewhat to this sort of philosophy of like getting out of your own way and trying not to sort of control the outcomes of things and allowing things to happen because sometimes you know better things will happen but you know when when we met we were two people that liked certain things that connected over certain things and then i went on this journey where i just sort of took off into right field and you know i was growing really quickly and i was doing all these things and she wasn't ready yet and you know, there's probably her resenting me for certain things that I was doing and connecting with people and having these deep conversations and talking about psychedelics. And she may have felt left out. And I may have resented her for not wanting to dive into them. And, you know, maybe she was afraid, or maybe she had certain conditioning around it. Um, but with time and patience, as she saw the change, she became more open to some of the ideas and wanted to try. And, you know, like, so yeah, there was a lot of friction in the beginning in our relationship because of it. And, you know, like I had my own work to do. She had her own work to do and not really having the tools to work on ourselves. Like most people, you know, you don't learn this stuff in school, like what emotional intelligence is and like how to properly communicate and like, like all these things that are, should be taught from childhood, you know, like we're figuring it out. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I have amazing mentors and teachers around me that have helped me to learn how to communicate, to learn how to work on myself, to, to, you know, go into self-reflection and to sort of see myself from a different lens or maybe how my wife perceives me at times. But we started um, going on the journey together. And that was like this huge sort of transition in our relationship where, you know, she started doing plant medicine as well. And um, she had her own experiences and we could talk about it. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't always like that. So it was rocky. There were sort of challenges. Um, but ultimately you know with time and patience that she saw the change in me and she was more open to it and you know with all of this stuff it's important you know never to force anyone never to sort of say they need to do this or they should do it it's you know I always come from this is my experience and it's not for everyone but you know it was very helpful to me and i've seen it help many people so i don't know if that answered your question but that was our experience and and now things are, are great you know now things are interestingly good and we can communicate better and yeah, there's a lot of positive that's come out of introducing not just psychedelics but um having this open mindset which i think psychedelics definitely helps a lot thank you for sharing that g it's so beautiful what you what you spoke to about being like being and versus doing not being in that trying energy or trying to get people to see the way that you're seeing it but simply just allowing the process to unfold because each person's journey is unique to their own. And um, it's great that you and your wife have now come to that place where you can be on these journeys in plant medicine, in spirituality, and see the unfolding of that mm -hmm. for each other. And yeah, I, I mean, there were so many things in, in your journey that I feel like I want to ask you, but um, you know, what perhaps healing modalities or what influences has your wife had on you, if your influence to her may have been um, some psychedelics in ways, what has she influenced you? Was it the fasting, perhaps the Wim Hof? Well, like, I guess with my wife, it's like the mirror, you know, like everyone, every relationship you're with, they're a mirror and the triggers that you feel within you are not really them. They're there for you to sort of bring these things up. So when I started, you know, working on patience or listening or understanding, you know, it's like, hey, what's really triggering me about what my wife's doing right now? Or she's angry about something. And, you know, watching myself want to respond with more anger and screaming back and winning, you know, there's this thing like we have to get the last sort of like 
shot in there or like make sure like you know where does that come from in the ego and why is that and can i be more compassionate so just being in a relationship together where we sort of were challenging each other at times allowed me to sort of learn and grow because i was working on this new sense of awareness um you know and and just like the little things we're seeing her courage you know to do these things and supporting that and having her support me help me to grow and sort of have courage to go and do these different things and and having a supportive partner is, is so important you know like at times in a relationship where i felt we we she wasn't as supportive i'd be afraid to share things with her i'd be afraid to want to do things because i wasn't going to get the support um you know but it was more like more communication and understanding, it opens the door for supporting, right? If there's people are understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it or, or don't want to, you know, it can become more challenging. Um, so, so yeah, just being there for me was how she supported me. And now she's, now she's really starting to like find her own way. Cause she's been a teacher her whole life, but she has all these other gifts, you know, where she, she shows up, you know, when we're in ceremony and as a leader, you know, she has like a woman's circle at, at our center. And I try to encourage her to like, to like tap into that energy and do more. And she just recently, you know, did some Reiki training and she's learning about um, different things that she's interested in. So she's really just finding herself now um, and cause she's ready. Right. And before, you know, she was busy, she was being a mom, she was teaching and, you know, it's, it's challenging at times, especially in the day and age we live in to really find your passions when you're worrying about work and, and all these responsibilities, you don't have really time for self-reflection, but you know, COVID has been a blessing in that too, since like last year, she hasn't gone back to work and she's had a lot more time to sort of, um, be with the kids and, you know, like look into things that, that interest her and read more and all these kind of things. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers that question, but to answer your other question also, I just wanted to add on the being part, I find, and this is probably going to be stereotypical, but a lot of people in the spiritual quote unquote community, um, you know, the surrender part of it and being is not just, Hey, I'm just gonna let anything happen. What's going to happen is going to happen and, and, and whatever. And, and I see some people using that as an excuse, almost like, I guess like spiritual bypassing is, is sort of a term that could sort of go in there or just, um, allowing things to happen and not taking responsibility maybe is a better way to explain it where, you know, having awareness and not sort of jumping to conclusions and controlling things, but also taking action when you feel it in your heart but not because you have to, oh, I need to do this. I got to do that because it's coming from the mind where it's like, oh yeah, I see this opportunity or I have awareness. So now there's something that comes to me. It's like, I'm ready to take action. I'm ready to put my energy into that and, and create and, and make something happen because you feel it from within, you know? So it's surrendering to allowing things to happen and not judging the outcome, but also having the awareness is like, say, hey, I want to bring my energy into this project or this opportunity or this person that's just here that, you know, I really want to connect with. So it's a fine line and a dance between that balance. That's not just, you know, not taking action and allowing, you know, that being is, is it's both, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally, totally. And I love that you brought up the spiritual bypass because it's what you were just describing, like being in the sense of not really like being like this indifference energy to it. Um, it's kind of a way of just checking out, isn't it? Right. Like yeah. And I see that a lot. And I, and yeah. yeah. And I see that more, more than enough to say that like, yeah, like it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a problem, but it can be problematic. Um, and, and then, you know, just, that's the answer for everything. Oh, this is the universe and this is 
why I'm like this, or this is, I'm not supposed to have any money because the universe mm-hmm. is whatever. And, and to each their own, no judgment, you know, if that's what they want, but that's not how I look at things from my perspective, where I, you can still take action and be assertive and get things done, but it just comes from a different place. Yeah. That's what's so amazing about being on this spiritual journey and path. And it is a journey and a path because there really is no destination. And the there's just always so much to learn. As soon as you think you have it figured out, you get a piece of humble pie and there's just more lessons, deeper lessons. And uh, I just, I love it so much. <laughs> there's no turning back. So gee, I really want to get into talking about breath work with you. I was wondering if you could explain to the audience without maybe getting too scientific, like how (laughs) breath work works on our bodies and why it's such an incredible asset to use with plant medicine ceremonies, because it's so amazing. So G comes to teach breath work at the center where I have been doing ayahuasca ceremonies. And it's so interesting, G, like, I don't think I've ever told you this, but every time you show up on the Saturday night and we had just or in the Saturday afternoon, we have just had medicine on Friday, then we have breath work with you. And then we have another ceremony on Saturday. When you come and you do the breath work session, it completely transforms the vibe of the group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing because every time I'm just like, oh, here comes G, he's just going to start breaking people down. <laughs> and like every time there's people who are screaming, laughing, crying just releasing so much and it just turns their saturday night around so much so i was hoping you could explain to us kind of like what is going on in our bodies and how does it all work yeah it gets pretty nutty in there and some of those those ones there oh Um, yeah (laughs) because people because people their guards are already down they've done a night of medicine they're kind of open maybe they're still holding on to that bit of resistance from you know whatever but they know the community that's there a little bit more and the breathwork just helps just really break down all those barriers and walls and allow you to sort of let go. And the more you let go into the breathwork or into the medicine or into life, the more you're going to flow, the more you're going to get out of it. Um, so breathwork is like a blanket term. You know, it covers a lot of different things. Um, but breathing in specific, you know, most people are like, yeah, I know how to breathe. I breathe every day. Um, you know, it's, it's auto- autonomous where you don't have to think to do it, but um, it controls so many different aspects of your overall well-being, mentally, emotionally, and physically, um, that we can manipulate it or use it to sort of help transform ourselves, so to speak. So, you know, the yogis have been talking about breath work for thousands of years. Pranayama, um, it's an ancient breathing technique from one of the eight limbs of yoga. And they found something interesting. There's a lot of interesting things about breathing, but they found that animals that breathe the slowest live the longest, and those that breathe the quickest live the shortest. And so they would always work on different breathing techniques to master the breath and slow down breathing. And most people nowadays are overstressed and they overbreathe and they breathe up high in their chest. So they're not breathing through their nose, they're breathing through their mouth, they're breathing up in their chest. And this is activates stress response in the body, it's a sympathetic nervous system. And breathing slowly through your nose, deep into your diaphragm is going to help you to relax. Also, like when you inhale, it increases heart rate. When you exhale, it slows it down. So extending your exhale can help you to relax more. And I always recommend people in any kind of psychedelic ceremony, you know, some people advise them, you know, if you, if it starts getting a little bit crazy and, you know, scary or, you know, challenging, 
take deep breaths, which is probably not the best advice because deep breathing can actually make you more excite, excite the nervous system even more. It's like you're hyperventilating. What what you want to do is to breathe through your nose and to slowly exhale because that's going to relax the body. So, you know, that's on one end of the spectrum, slowing down, building up your carbon dioxide tolerance. People think carbon dioxide is a waste gas, but really it's what actually delivers oxygen to the cell. So when, you, when you're breathing quickly, you're releasing a lot of carbon dioxide, so it never really builds up in the body. So then you have very poor circulation, and your, your red blood cells are not going to transport oxygen into your tissues and brain as much. You might have a lot of oxygen in your blood, but you're not going to have a lot of oxygen where it matters, where you need it. And so these are just a few like basic things that, that are really important that most people don't understand um, or don't, just don't know about um, when it comes to physiology, but then also calming the mind down. Like when you breathe quickly, your mind becomes more overactive. When you slow your breathing down, it seems to slow down your thought process. Um, and on the other side of it, you have these like really intense breathing techniques like Stan Groff, you know, invented... Um, holotropic breath work. And I think these breathing techniques have been around forever. I got a cool story about that. Um, but he invented when, when psychedelics went underground or they went illegal, he wanted to continue studying these altered states of consciousness. And so they started doing holotropic breath work whereby intense breathing over a certain period of time, you know, a couple hours, you'd bring people to these uh, intense states of being and having these experiences um, and that's at the, at the opposite end of the spectrum, which is good for an experiential or like a, an experiential sort of a journey, but it's not that we want to breathe all the time. You want to breathe slowly, calmly through your nose into your diaphragm. But, you know, sometimes like a high intensity workout, you know, I find it's good to sort of do these more intense breathing because they help you to release emotions, trauma in the body. People feel it helps them to relieve pain. Um, helps to clear the mind and so on and so forth. So what is actually happening in those holotropic breathwork sessions? It's hard to say for certain. Um, you know, by by doing all that breathing, you definitely your body starts to vasoconstrict, so it slows down the blood flow to certain parts of the body. Um, the vasoconstriction or the lack of of oxygen to the tissues in the brain. You know, it's not dangerous in any way where you're gonna create any damage, but it could send signals to the body that the body is dying. Um, or losing, you know, teetering on losing consciousness or something like that, which creates this euphoric sort of experience where it may potentially release DMT. You know, the thing about DMT and sleep and some of these things where it gets produced is very hard to measure. Um, but I think there are new studies that show that it does, it is actually produced in some of these states. Um, so you're bringing yourself to sort of that edge and, and it has a lot to do with pushing yourself and letting go. And you can have these really intense experiences that can be very similar to an ayahuasca or a psychedelic experience. You can have visions, you can see colors, you you can feel tingling sensations throughout your body, like you're floating, like you're melting. Sometimes the sound in the room can change where it sounds like you're underwater. Um, you can feel hot or cold and, and just really have these crazy cathartic releases, crying, laughing, anger, shouting. And sometimes it seems like it's coming right out of people's like soul or deep inside their nervous system, just releasing it. And as a facilitator, what I found interesting is like, you can feel the energy in the room shift. Like when you're really into it and you're guiding a group and you can help. And, and, and again, this sounds like very woo woo. And for me, all this stuff was like energy and like Reiki and, you know, crystals. It's like, yeah, I'm open to it, but like very skeptical of like feeling energy before I was anyways, um, coming from the business world. But the more I was in there, like I can feel when the energy change, when I put in a song, that's like, um, going into like a guided meditation. Cause we, we always end with some, some sort of guided meditation. 
you feel the whole energy in the, in the room shift to gratitude and I get hit by this wave and I feel these goosebumps. Sometimes I even start crying. Like I don't even, I, I don't even know why, but like tears are coming down and I feel the people, what they're feeling in the room. It's this crazy experience or in the beginning when people are restless, I feel this anxious energy and, and I'm getting them to breathe through it and keep on pushing through and, and getting out of their mind into your body. And I can feel when that shifts a bit, when it's like weird, it's like, wow, like there, there is some sort of connectivity going on here. And the story about the breath, like spira is like the Latin word for, for um, I think it's breath or breathing or to breathe. And, you know, inspire or expire when you die or inspire is like to bring motivation um, or inspiration. Um, and there's all these other like spirit comes from breathing. And the interesting one was um, back in the day, apparently, um, people used to gather and I think it was like the Roman times and they would go into these intense breathing where they'd all breathe in sync and they'd have these crazy experiences where they would connect to, you know, quote unquote God or a higher being. And the church deemed it illegal and they called it a conspiracy. And that's where the word conspiracy came from apparently, which where they were breathing it together, grouping together against the state or the church to, you know, connect to God or to do something that was frowned upon. Um, and so, so they wanted to stop that, but which I found is interesting because when you have a group, when you really sync the breathing, where you're all inhaling and exhaling at the same time, which is what elemental rhythm tries to sort of uh, promote and practice because we breathe in, in a certain rhythm, um, it creates this cohesion between the group and it amplifies the experience. And maybe it's a placebo because we say that it's going to do that and people think that, or maybe it actually does, which I think it does. But there's definitely something special about that group experience where people just really let go and, and are there to sort of do the work. Um, so scientifically what's happening there, it's hard to say, you know, these are just some of my hypothesis and theories. You know, there is some science that'll show like, like I explained earlier about, you know, the oxygen levels in the blood and tissues and what's going on with circulation. But from an energetic perspective, like even something called tetany. So tetany is where your hands, they lock up. And it happens when you're breathing because the pH in your blood changes and your your veins start to vasoconstrict and all capillaries. So you almost lose control of your hands where they just they go into these weird sort of shapes, almost like T-Rex hands or lobster hands, they call it. But I've seen some people breathe harder and release that. You know, I've seen some people make these weird hand signals, like they're trying to like signify something. Uh, is, there, is it an energetic blockage in the body? Is it, you know, something else? But the fact that they can breathe more and let and break through that, you know, tells me it's not just something that's scientific or it's not just a chemical reaction because you would think that more breathing would actually make it worse. These are just my own observations, something that probably needs to be studied more for sure. Um, but you know, it's very safe, you know, adverse reactions are like almost non-existent, you know, both in my own experience plus clinical studies. Um, and afterwards, most people feel euphoric, clear-minded, open-hearted, grateful, um, transformed, some of the words that you hear. And the sharing circles afterwards, where people share their experience, are mind-blowing, you know, where they they connected to a younger version of themselves, healed something, had a vision, like you name it. You know, I've, I've heard people share it. And that experience for me is something that's very special, like being able to facilitate for someone hold space for them and then have a transformational experience is almost as powerful as having your own transformational experience in the breath work. And that's why I love teaching it so much because I tell people when I'm teaching them to become facilitators, because they've been touched personally by experiencing breath work that, you know, once you start sharing this, it's going to be just as powerful, if not more powerful. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, I left out of my story was, you know, when I was searching for meaning and fulfillment you know i'd do a sale in, in the food business i didn't make x amount of dollars and it'd feel good but it wouldn't last long you know 
by that evening, it would be like, okay, what's next more. But when I helped someone and they would come and they would say like, Hey, like that class, like it changed my life. Or, you know, that thing you said to me really impacted me. I would think about it all week. And I'm ready to make some changes. Like when people would come and share that with me in the early days, and I was just like trying to find my way and just really sharing the things I learned. Like I felt something inside that was different than any business deal I'd ever, or any money that I'd ever made. It was like, wow, like there's, there's something tangible about sharing and helping people and the recognition that I got for that, or just them showing gratitude. And that's what I knew I wanted to do more of that and would sort of spawn me to sort of get into these things and build Elemental. So long-winded answer, but thank you for the question. Yeah. And thank you for sharing um, all that you did, Giovanni. It's it's um, great. I wanted to reflect back to you too. So I first heard about you at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center the first time that I went and people spoke so highly of you. And at Rhythmia, there's this whole concept that you go there and you receive a miracle. Most people receive a powerful miracle. And so many people receive their miracles just through breathwork alone, not having, um, not during, let's say, an ayahuasca ceremony, but some, for some people, that huge life shift, that huge awakening, what it is that they're searching for comes to them in breathwork. And I heard so many people say like, oh, last time I was here, like breathwork with Giovanni, like that was, that was it for me. That was my miracle. So you're out there creating um, miracles for people every single day with this work. So thank you for just being of service and reflecting in that way that it's, um, you know, you see how helping people is this lasting effect and lasting beautiful feeling within yourself. And um, I also wanted to just touch a little bit more as we're on this topic of breathwork about Wim Hof and mm-hmm. you becoming an, an instructor. What what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um, so back in, I think, 2014 or 2015, so I, after I started plant medicine, I, I was looking for people to connect with. You know, we had a group of people that would get together from time to time and we would talk about cool things, try different things, meditations. We'd watch videos. And I remember once um, Googling for something interesting to play. I wanted to find a video that would show people about human potential. And I came across Wim Hof. And like again, like that feeling in my my chest was like, oh, there's something really special about this. Like this really deep curiosity. It's the intuition. Like it was like blinking. And I'm like, I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to see if he wants to be in my podcast. And at the time he was still like approachable where now like he's like super famous and it's hard to like even get contact with him. Um, although we do talk from time to time, but at the time it was like, yeah, they're like, yeah, for sure. You know, I'll be in your podcast. And, um, in the podcast, he's like, yeah, we're doing a training in, in LA, the advanced training. First one in the States, you should come, you know, you'd be my guest. Just come on down. I'm like, all right, <laughs> why not? And, um, I didn't really have any intention of becoming a, a breathwork facilitator at that time. You know, I was curious about him. I practiced a little bit of his stuff and I, I really wanted to climb a mountain in my shorts because the ego telling me think about how cool it's going to be to post on your instagram climbing a mountain in your shorts and the one thing i loved about Wim was he would always say and encourage people like there's there's nothing that that that's more special about me than you in a way he would say like anyone could do what i do you know all of this stuff and he could show people like hey like just jump in the cold or do this thing like it's possible like yeah he's got 20 guinness world records i think like doing those records is like you have to have the right mindset for it but, you know, the ability to jump in a frozen lake was like so foreign or to climb a mountain in your shorts was like crazy. But him 
telling people that they could do it is so empowering, you know, and really cheering people on. And like, he, he does believe that, you know, and he wants to show people how to do it um, rather than like, Hey, just look at me. I'm the guy that does all this stuff. Like it's the sharing and showing people. And, you know, they did even some, some really crazy studies with like endotoxin where they would inject people into the breathing and the cold. And, you know, they wouldn't get like the same response as the placebo group. So that really inspired me. So I went to the LA training and, you know, it was, did my first ice bath and did some breathing. And he's like, yeah, there's another one. We're going to do it in November. Um, it's going to be out in Colorado in the Rockies. And so it's the advanced training that you become a facilitator. If you do that, I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, let's keep going. And so I'm getting ready for this, you know, mountain hike and, and, um, have my, my GoPro ready to document it. And I get there and, and really, you know, I start hearing from 30 people's personal stories from around North America, some from overseas too. And all this transformation through breath work, you know, whether it was addiction, whether it was depression or anxiety or physical pain or disease, um, you know, all these amazing stories. And I was just like, wow, you know, like there's something really powerful here that needs to be shared more because like, you know, if, if something that's free and available to everyone is this impactful, like everyone should do it. And Wim led this sort of, um, more intense breathing. So they do like rounds of breathing with breath holds, the Wim Hof method. Um, and you can look it up online, highly recommend it. It's very powerful and easy to do. Um, on YouTube, you can easily find it. Um, so they have these rounds and, you know, he led us on a different kind of journey where, you know, they were playing some music and, you know, we're breathing for like 30 or 40 minutes at different speeds. And, um, at one point I just started crying uncontrollably. Like I hadn't cried probably in who knows, like 10, 20 years, who knows. And it was this amazing release and I didn't even know what it was, but it just felt so good. And I, I remember laying there looking at the ceiling. It's like, what the hell just happened? You know, like, like I have no idea about any of this stuff at this point, other than just the practice that I've been doing. And it was very clear. It was like, yeah, share this. Like, you need to learn more about this. You need to share this. And and we ended up jumping in lakes and and climbing mountains. And it became less important about like taking the pictures. And we took a few pictures and jumped in lakes. But it was like, yeah, I'm learning about nature. I'm learning about resilience. And I'm learning about how adaptable the human beings are. And I'm learning about like how to really share this in the right way. Like like how Wim shared it with us. And he was there, just like a regular guy, just telling us to believe in ourselves and and to go for it. And just in his words, just fucking do it, man. Like you know, breathe, motherfucker. Like that's that, that's Wim. So he's like the mix between like a caveman and like a Buddha. He's like really like raw and like rugged, but also like very you know, well thought and and spiritual. And so I brought that back, you know, like I brought that back with me and started sharing that and, and started doing Wim Hof workshops. And then eventually sort of from that experience that I had, um, you know, was trying to craft more of an experience around that with music, movement, shaking, you know, different speeds, different rounds, different breath holds. And that's what elemental rhythm sort of came out of. And now, you know, you know, we're sharing that a lot. It's, it's, you know, I tried to refine, you know, how do we get like the best experience in like, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of breathing and, you know, a lot of AB testing and trial and error on friends. And, you know, we got to a really good point now where, you know, we feel comfortable sharing it and teaching it to people. That's awesome, G. And I just, I have to say, I love the, the method you teach at Elemental with the, you do this like inner child healing almost mm -hmm. <laughs> during it, which is always so powerful. And then your music at the end is just ugh, so like, I like your cover of Imagine more than, <laughs> more than the original, but it really oh, does. Come on. Like, it really does like get people to feel their shit. 
right? Like yeah. it really gets those feelings to the surface. And, and oh. that's why we added the meditation at the end because I felt like you're bringing people to this place, but then you're sort of leaving them there. And I'm like, okay, if I can mm-hmm. then, like, now that they're open, like, a lot of the walls that they use for protection or, like, not letting them to be vulnerable, like, those drop, you know, when you do, like, intense breathing or even psychedelics, like MDMA, uh, psychotherapy. Breathing gets you to a similar place where you feel this euphoria, like, your defense mechanisms are down a little bit. Different areas of the brain are sort of, you know, working or not working. And then I always bring people to gratitude first. And when you go from a place of gratitude – and you really feel gratitude, especially some people really feel gratitude in breath work. Like they feel it in, in the breath work, but in life for the first time in an intense way, it just like opens everything and they mm-hmm. feel their heart open and they start to cry and just like, wow, I've never felt gratitude like this before. And it really is the building block for everything, for attracting things into your life, for abundance, for healing, you know, like being grateful um, for what, what you have, um, you know. It's really special, and I think I saw an Instagram post today. It was something like, "Imagine you woke up tomorrow, and all you had left was everything you're grateful for today." And I was mm-hmm. okay. What are you grateful for today? So if you don't reflect on that, you know, like imagine that, and and so that for me was like, yeah, people need to be more grateful for what they have. So we use that in the breath work to just guide them a little bit, and then from there, you know, just self reflection. You know, like looking at yourself, focusing on a few statements from like Ho'oponopono, like "I love you," "I'm sorry." Like it really takes people deep on this journey and it's very simple. Mm-hmm. And and people have done that, like that same meditation for literally every week for a year straight. Some of the people that come to class at Elemental and every time it's a different experience. And like, if you look at the progression and how their lives have changed, like I had people that would come in like literally a nervous wreck, like anxious, high blood pressure, fearful. And like a year later, they're like, yeah, I went skydiving. My blood pressure's down. I've just moved. I was like, moving was the scariest thing for me. I'm putting a pool in the backyard. Like my whole life has changed like completely, like calm, relaxed. And like, I don't, I don't take full credit, but I think that like the breath work helps them to sort of have different awareness on their life and to like, you know, if you're in a nervous state all the time, like how much time do you have for self-reflection? You're probably in defense mode all the time, like trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Um, yeah, powerful like, and, and the meditation just, I don't know, it, we, we found it to be quite effective. It, it sounds like feeling is the medicine, whether you're doing it through psychedelics or through breath work or whatever, like feeling those feelings is what heals us. Yeah. To move yeah. Forward. I think it's a huge part of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I would love to talk to you about something a little different that we haven't really talked about on the podcast, but in your journey, there was this really cool kind of contrast between like the entrepreneur and the spiritual seeker. (laughs) And I would love to hear from you. What was that journey like? And what have you learned about money? And how do you see money and the energy of money and building wealth now, as opposed to before you started on this path? Yeah. So I guess in the beginning when I didn't have a lot of money, you know, I thought money would make me happy. Um, but then I, I started to see how like most of like the really successful people are always seeking more and more and more and not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and it, and I, and I was, for some reason, I've always been surrounded by very successful people, um, or actually more, more in the last probably five, 10 years, but I'm getting to know them. I realized that like, yeah, of all the rich people I know, like, half are miserable the other half 
kind of happy, but the money had no correlation to them being happy or sad or, or miserable or whatever. So that was kind of an eye opener for me. And, you know, there's always this, like, this is weighing on you of like, is money good or bad, you know, and the spiritual community again, stereotype, you know, doing the quotations in, in my, my hands. Like, you know, I found a lot of them frowned upon money because they associate with bad and, and big business and all these things. And, um, you know, I question that, um, personally, like, you know, should I be making money? Is it okay to make money? I, I don't think money is, is good or bad at all. I think what, how you choose to use it or how you allow it to control you is where the, the, the good or badness of it comes in. So, you know, like I see it as, yeah, like if I make more money, um, I can do cooler projects, help more people, um, do things, create more things that I'm interested in, but also have to be very conscious of like, not just trying to make more money. Like, like what are all the implications of the business that you do, whether it's environmental, whether it's with people, you know, you're paying people a fair wage. Are you, you know, destroying the environment or like any of these things? Like, yeah, you want to keep that in mind. Cause I think that's one of the biggest problems we face today as a society is that, People invest their money blindly because they just want a return. And, you know, people who run these companies, you know, their jobs are dependent on their profit margins, how much money they make. And all of the other factors that should be important in most companies, and this is, again, a general stereotype that I think is applicable to most companies. It's like they're just trying to make as much money as possible to keep their jobs and, you know, to keep their bonuses and to make money. And the investors invest in that, not caring. Most of the time you invest in mutual fund. Most people don't even know what they're investing in. Or they hear of a stock that's, yeah, let's invest in this because I hear it's going to make a lot of money. Um, but there are people who are doing a lot more conscious investing and conscious funds these days. Um, so, you know, like, I think it's important to be aware of that as an entrepreneur. But, you know, like, I realize like, I don't need a lot really to be happy. And so, like, before I thought, yeah, I want to buy a mansion and a fancy car, um, you know, like, I really don't need any of that stuff anymore. But, you know, if I can, you know, build a retreat center or create an app that can help a lot of people like that's exciting to me or you know build a community one day or support people like that's exciting and you know it takes money to do those kind of things it takes money to create change in the world and i think the more conscious entrepreneurs there are i don't think the government's going to be responsible for changing the world they're, they're trying to like i don't know what they're trying to do right now to be honest seems like there's some crazy agenda going on and i don't want to get into that sort of conversation but um you know, I think entrepreneurs have a lot of power when it comes to how they spend their money, how they reinvest their money, the type of industries that they that they create. And I think that, you know, the more entrepreneurs that can drink plant medicine or that can have spiritual awakenings or that can sort of think more consciously, the faster we're going to see a shift. And you see it sort of happening now in a way where, you know, people with money are making changes faster than any government can. Um, so, you know, I, I wish that all of the, you know, you open the the world, you know, the United Nations could start with an ayahuasca ceremony, you know, from some of the leaders from South America, share their tradition, and maybe, you know, we can, can have a quick change around the world. But I think the entrepreneurs are going to do it. And I think that as an entrepreneur, you face a lot of challenges and you have to make decisions. And sometimes your your ethics or, you know, your conscious gets challenged. And I think what's what's really important is the decisions you make when no one's watching or no one will ever find out. And that's just between you and yourself and God, if you believe in it, you know, how do you decide or how do you show up when no one knows? And, you know, I've used that as a tool to sort of grow myself in many ways. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah. I, I love that. I love everything that you said about just like following 
your heart. It starts with each of us as individuals doing the work. And yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the the change as more and more entrepreneurs are becoming conscious, the the change that this world is going to experience in the next five to 10 years, I think it's going to look completely different than it does now. Um, and it's time for so much more liberation and freedom for all. And I, yeah, and I, I talk, love, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. sorry. You know, I talked about this on, on, on just an Instagram live, I think yesterday, the day before where, you know, I've been contemplating, I've been very quiet on my Instagram through this whole process. You know, I'll, I'll pipe up every once in a while, you know, try not to get political or too like d- divisive. And, but what I, what I do sort of see is, is, you know, like, I feel like humanity's at a crossing roads right now, crossroads right now, where it's kind of obvious what we're doing now is not sustainable in many ways. And the potential to be a fully conscious, sustainable, peaceful world, it's possible. It's very possible. It's like so possible. It's like at our fingertips, but a change has to happen before we get there. And you know, like I even t- teach people this when they're manifesting, you know, along to go from point A to point B, there has to be things that die or fall apart or, or break because the transition into a new you or a new life, it, it's, it's usually comes through like some chaos, you know, like even like the butterfly, you know, when it goes from a, a, a caterpillar, there's a point where these cells come online and the imaginal cells start eating the other cells as actually like almost like cannibalizing itself in a way. And they start fighting each other and eventually the, these imaginal cells take over and they eat all of the old cells and transform into a butterfly. And like, maybe that's what we're experiencing right now. Maybe this is the unraveling of the old world that we have to go through, that we chose to be here during this time. You know, many of us that are feeling like, like, why are we here? Or, you know, this is hard or like, why does it have to be this way? It's like, we were here to assist, to be present during this time, to allow things to transform. Maybe a lot of us are going to die during this process and this sing- singular life out of, you know, millions of experiences here. But I feel like this is the process that we're going through right now and, and not to be afraid and, and not to try to control it or get angry or upset, but just to be present through it and try to be supportive and, try not to sort of fall victim to the fear and all that stuff. Cause everyone is also playing a role, you know, and the people from the old system or the old world are hanging on. Um, Cause they're scared of uncertainty and they only know one thing. And, you know, people are starting to wake up to different ways of being or living. And I think this collective chaos has been a wake up call for everybody. And people are actually questioning, you know, like, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of this? What, what is life all about? And how do I want to show up? Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing, the awakening process. I and I I mean, as difficult as it is sometimes, but I, I love that view that you have on it. And I wanna ask you, like for those people who might be listening who find themselves in in fear or who may just be coming to wake up right now, aside from breath work, what might be other modalities that you believe can really help people in this process? Well, I'd say before even a modality, what's important is having a tribe, having people you can talk to, share the way you feel, having support, whether it's online, joining a group in person, which is you know challenging now depending on where you live. But I think that tribe mentality, that supportive mentality, like we have we have men's groups and women's groups at Elemental. And you know, I, I when people come, they show up at, at our door and they're like, What's the first thing you recommend? It's always like, like, have you considered joining the men's group? Because just being able to share the way you feel and know that you're not alone and other people are experiencing similar things to you is very transformative in itself. 
So that would be like number one is like start there. Um, things like meditation are challenging for people because when the mind is so active, sitting in silence can be someone's worst nightmare. Um, so breath work is more active and it allows people to calm their mind in a way. Then obviously, like if they feel called, like the plant medicines are also very powerful uh, modalities that, you know, help help to break through, but they're not the answer in themselves. You know, like having um, a community, you know, working on yourself continually. So when people ask for like tools to work on themselves, like for me and, and, and you know, um, being transparent, I'm a partner in the personal development school, but my partner Thais is a genius and she created um, through her own healing, different techniques um, that she didn't create all of them, but she she combined different ones that she learned from like CBT and, and other amazing teachers um, into some processes that really helped to reprogram the subconscious mind. And it was through her own healing and journey that she figured this out. You know, she was at rock bottom, you know, uh, not too long ago, you know, I think, you know, probably about 10 years ago where you know, she was drinking, she was taking pills and hit a rock bottom and she just, you know, said a prayer and said, if I can never find my way out of this, I'm going to dedicate my life to helping people. And she did. And along the way, she would have these like breakthroughs where she would see like, you know, these, these processes work without any plant medicines or anything like that. And she started helping and sharing that with other people and they were having the same sort of responses. And, you know, we've been talking about creating some sort of integration plan, but the school is up and it's helping like thousands of people like every single day. Um, so yeah, there are different types of techniques that you can find online. So that's just one personal development school, but there's a lot of others. Um, and it depends where they are. Like if they're afraid and they're stuck and they're scared, like finding a coach or finding some online tools um, or videos to watch is always a, a good sort of stepping stone as well. Um, but most importantly, and this is the most important advice I give anyone is you have to start following your heart, following your intuition. And some people might not know what it is, but be open to trying different things. Um, this is from my own experience. And you'll know the ones that resonate with you. You'll know the ones that like, oh, wow, there's something here for me. It might feel like curiosity. It might feel like excitement. It might feel like, you know, going on that first date, you know, in high school with a girl that you like or a guy that you like, um, like the butterflies. Like there's there's going to be like a visceral feeling in your body when you're on the right path. Or you start seeing synchronicities or coincidences or people saying the same thing time and time again. Like your journey is going to be your journey. So what works for me is not going to work for you, but you have these tools inherent within you to help guide you. Okay. And so once you start having more awareness to them, that they're probably there right now, they've probably been around you your whole life. You just haven't had the awareness to sort of pick up on them or start seeing them. So when you start, start doing that and start, start following your intuition, it's going to lead you in different paths. Some are not going to be the right path. Some are going to be, you know, learning experiences, which are going to be like challenges, but you know, we're here to learn. And just know that all, every challenge you face is there for you. So you're going to learn from every experience you have. If you keep going through the same experience over and over again, maybe you haven't learned, but you keep attracting it because there is something there for you. Um, and then the other thing I tell people is what's important that I find, which I had myself, I didn't know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, how I wanted to feel, which is most important. So some people are so fixated like, oh, I want to live here. I want to have this car. I want to do that. And manifesting works and you can use that, but it's not, it doesn't mean you're going to be happy. So I would try, and sometimes it's hard, to focus on how you want to feel. Like, what are the feelings I want to feel on a daily basis? I want to feel happy. I want to feel free. And just imagine yourself feeling those feelings. What does your life look like when you're feeling like that? And do more of that. And sometimes it's a lot simpler than you would think. And we're creating specific breathwork tracks that's going to be released for on ElementalRhythm.com that are going to help guide people through these processes. Because I think, you know, a lot of people are so caught up in day-to-day -day and working, and they don't really think, like, what am I really working for? 
what's the end goal here? Like, what am I trying to get to? And usually there is no end goal, but at least when you start getting in that direction, all these other opportunities open up and you keep flowing in life. Because a 10-year plan for me has never worked out or a five-year plan. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this, 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 and that. Usually by the end of year one, I have a totally different plan and it's something totally different. But when you start acting out of like the way I want to feel and the way I want to be and the way I want to sort of live my life, the energy I want to bring into the world, then it becomes limitless. You know, all, there's all types of possibilities and opportunities. And, and when you see even the challenges as opportunities for growth, it sort of changes your mindset. You still can get stuck in fear, but it's like, okay, like I'm going through this for a reason. This is happening to me for me, not happening to me because I'm a loser or I'm a victim or like, you know, I'm bad or I fucked up or whatever. It's like, okay, like this is another opportunity for growth. Thanks so much, G. There are so many useful nuggets in there for our listeners to take, to pick and take what kind of makes sense for them and works for them. So we really appreciate it. And I was hoping that before we, we wrap up this episode, I would love if you could share with the audience. <laughs> I hope you'll remember what I'm speaking about, but I remember you shared in a circle once this vision that you had during one of your ayahuasca ceremonies at Rhythmia about pretty much like how the earth will prevail and the like the future of humanity and the role of humanity. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, I'm trying to piece it together. Um, I think there was like some sort of decaying vision. Yeah. Like I think, I think it was something along the lines of, um, I think it was an experience I had where I was here before and I died and I'm back again. And, and that, um, no matter what we do to this planet, it's going to live beyond us. And like every once in a while, there's a reset that happens, whether it's a meteor um, or something like that, where we keep on trying to break through where humanity evolves to a certain point. And like, you know, sometimes we, we don't evolve the way that it's going to sustain life. And the earth is just going to say, okay, like, Hey guys, we're going to reset. And like maybe a meteor will come or, you know, something will happen that will hit this reset button that, you know, people will die and people will be born again and slowly, you know, evolution will happen. Um, and we come back to this, this tipping point. And this goes back to what I was saying before, but I think we're at that tipping point now where we have this opportunity to sort of go beyond the threshold to something totally new. And if we don't, you know, the earth is going to reset itself. And and the intelligence from what I remember was like the earth was like sort of giggling. Like you think you're, you can actually like destroy me or like, you know, the, the earth is going to end, but you know, like you guys will get wiped out so much quicker than, than me. Um, and we'll start again until, you know, as long as we have to, like billions of years, zillions of years, who knows? Um, <clears throat> but I was the vision in that experience from what I remember, this could have been another vision, but was that I was alive during like a meteor strike and I had my kids in my arms and the wave came and sort of, um, washed us away. And humanity was again at another tipping point of, you know, just got a little crazy. and when I opened my eyes, it was like I was back again in another life, which was now, and my same family was here. And it's interesting because like I had this like weird fears around being a prepper and being prepared for like a cataclysm. And when I saw things like that, like they would like movies like um, Armageddon, like it was like so like visceral to me where I was like, why am I so interested in this movie? And like my kids being afraid of like being alone where I remember in that vision where we were getting washed away, we were like clinging onto each other and we all died in each other's arms. And it was like so sad and like 
heart wrenching, but it was like, yeah, you're, you're here again and you'll keep coming back and having these experiences and lives until it's time to evolve to something else. And that was reassuring in many ways. And it was, it was like, you guys take life so seriously. Like, don't worry about it. It's, everything's going to be okay. Like, don't, don't tie yourself up in a knot over these things in your mind. And so I try to have that mentality sometimes as well, you know, where, you know, not to worry too much about the things that are happening right now, just to show up the way that I can and just bring joy and love into every day. So yeah. I think that was the one you were talking about. That was the one. Yeah. I just remember I found it so inspiring and I, I thought it would be nice to share with our listeners as well. So thank you for that. So where can people find you? What What's coming up next for you? Where can people? Yes. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah. We're, we're getting ready to launch elementalrhythm.com. It's going to have some courses, going to have some breathwork experiences. It's going to hopefully have a, a, a community of people who are open-minded and supportive of each other um, on their own journey. Um, my Instagram is Elemental Geo. We have a YouTube account um, channel where I share some of my plant medicine experiences and the documentaries on there. I think it's still called Elemental Awakening, but I think if you just Google my name, you can find it. Um, and then GiovanniBartolomeo.com. It's my personal website. It just has some information about me and where you can contact me and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm reachable. Any of those, any social media, you find me, send me a message. I will we'll definitely respond. Thank you so much, Gio. It was so great to finally have a conversation with you because you definitely have beyond lived up to everything wonderful that I've heard about you. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. And you guys are so awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for doing this show and sharing, you know, knowledge and all these amazing speakers you have on. And like this is what we need more of, you know, more sharing of information and um, open-minded solutions to you know some of the challenges we all face. So thank you guys for doing what you do. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Thank you so much for taking the time to share space with us on the Modern Psychedelics podcast today. We're on social media at Modern Psychedelics. Please like, share, and subscribe for more expansive content on a daily basis. If this episode sparked something within, please let us know by leaving a review of our podcast on Apple. The work begins after you come back down to earth and we're standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing it.